going to be in 1 Samuel 13. The last time we saw King Saul's early victory against Israel's enemies, the Ammonites. And tonight, sadly, we're going to see the downfall of King Saul's dynasty quickly. In chapters 11 and 12, King Saul becomes a celebrity overnight. And the elderly uh, Samuel has to warn the people against celebrity worship. It's kind of eerie and creepy that human beings love to worship each other. You know, maybe it has something to do with the God who's not tangible to my senses. And, you know, well, this person's closer to me. And and, um, it really is a spiritual exercise to have a relationship with an unseen God. However, those people worshipped Saul and Samuel had to warn them so much so that he had to call down a storm, a thunderstorm from heaven to get the people's attention and just say, listen, it wasn't the king that delivered you, it was your God and don't forget that. But it's eerie because we see it today too. We live in an age of celebrity-ism and even celebrity politicians. Everyone is looking for a man to champion their cause when we need to be looking towards God. Amen. Right, it even happens in ministry, it even happens in some churches, um, and it's, it's not a good thing. Tragically, King Saul succumbs to his own popularity, his own power, and forgets that it was God that gave him the honor of being the king and, and leading the children of Israel. So we're gonna jump in now that we have the background in verse one, chapter 13. It said, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Mishmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet, throughout all the land, saying, let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard that it was Saul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel had also become an abomination or odious to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. So we see early success under King Saul, first with the Ammonites, and now with the Philistines. So far, so good. Now I'm sure if they had Barner Research or uh, the Pew polls, that if they took a poll of King Saul, how many people think Saul's the greatest king? He'd probably be up there in the 90 percentiles. That's what the people wanted. So King Saul takes 2,000 men into the mountains of Bethel, which if you look at a map of Israel, it's kind of, the map is burned in my brain. I can kind of picture it. You know, you have the, the Dead Sea, and then it's kind of northwest of the Dead Sea. And then Jonathan takes a thousand men to Gibeah of Benjamin, which is just south of Saul. Um, Again, the geography, it does look like Geba, where the Philistines were, were a little bit northeast of those locations. However, if you look at a a relief map, you see the mountains, and the children of Israel had a vantage point because they were on a higher elevation than the, um, the Philistines, which gave them a military advantage. So, number one, what's interesting is Saul announces a successful campaign and takes credit for what Jonathan did. Now, it was kind of sad because it was his own son. Imagine being jealous of your own kid. 
It does happen, though. Uh, and it's, you know, here's a guy, King Saul, who started out really uninterested in becoming a king. And we see the progression of his life. He goes from maybe a humble guy, maybe disinterested, uh, to somebody who now likes the idea of being king. He becomes a prideful king. And then we're going to see it get worse uh, later on. Very interesting story of a person's life to look at it and say, I don't want my life to go down that road because the end is not pretty. Two, very interesting, Israelites, children of Israel, the words now is changed to Saul calls them Hebrews. Well, that's unusual. Now, some make a lot of hay out of this and say, that's a big thing. But it is interesting because uh, the enemies of Israel usually called them the Hebrews. Uh, the children of Israel was an affectionate term. So you see the, the wording start to change a little bit. And what I'm trying to get at here is the key word in today's uh, study is subtlety. If you're in the law field or you're in uh, any type of jurisprudence, uh, we call that the slippery slope. If you ever hear the arguments for uh, the libertarians, they'll say, don't take any of our freedoms away. And then the government says, but we have to protect you from terrorism, so we have to take some of your rights away, monitoring your communications and such. So there's this big uh, kind of balance between those two camps. But the slippery slope, the judicial, judicial system has said, we want to be careful that the, the rights are not eroded through that slippery slope. One day you wake up and boom, you have no rights left. Uh, so that's a problem. So there's, there's subtleties here. There's subtleties in the wordings that he uses. There's subtleties in the fact that he takes credit from his son. And what's the application to us? What's the application to us? Well, let's look at money. So you say, you know, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit, so I'm going to cheat on my taxes a little bit. Or I have a business and I'm going to pad my customers a little bit. And then what happens is maybe you start off small, but over time, it, a little bit of money becomes a little more money, then a little more money. And before you know it, you're, you're thieving. You know, you're cheating people. Uh, you look at a situation where if you are married and you're looking at someone of the opposite sex and it's just a look and then a look becomes a, a, a stare and a stare becomes a gaze and a gaze becomes now a lunch date. And before you know it, you've committed adultery. You see that slippery slope, that subtlety starts off small but then it trails off. A lifestyle that's not pleasing to God starts with little things. You let little things into your life. You watch things on TV. You, st you see certain things, uh, and you say, well, that's okay. I can handle it. And then it gets worse and worse, and before you know it, you're into... And then you look, look around and say, gee, where did God go? Did he leave me? No, we left him. He never moves, you know? We're the ones that move. And uh, there was a great pastor's conference on Tuesday, uh, Pancho Juarez spoke about repentance. And sometimes we need to repent because we left God in the dust. And now we're living a self-directed life and it's not pleasing to him and it's not good for us either. So verse five. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and the people as sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Mishmash, I love that name, to the, <laughs> to the east of Beth-Avon, when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. So you see, if the Philistines are a picture of evil or sin, it doesn't go away that easily. Right? We have to get ruthless. My mentor said to me, Joey, you've got to get ruthless with your sin. Remember, well, you all know Pastor Luis, uh, but he's right. You've got to get ruthless with that sin because it'll work its way in. And then when you try to attack it, 
and, and, and starve it and defund it. It'll come back with a vengeance. So don't expect those sins to go away that easily at times. So the Philistines, they're not going to take this lying down. They've got 36,000 chariots, horsemen. The best way, you know, I'm, I kind of follow a lot of military excursions in history, but the, 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 in my mind, I thought about, remember in 2008, remember the conflict between Georgia and Russia? Now, Russia, the empire of Russia is 11 time zones, and little Georgia, right? And they're trying to fend off the Russians. That's what this is. See, the, the, the Israelites, when we go further into the thing, they don't even have spears. They don't even have uh, uh, armor. They don't have anything. They have farm implements. And they get it sharpened, they have to go to the Philistines to get it sharpened. However, the Philistines have chariots. That's as if, you know, we were going to be attacked and we were just on foot and the enemy had tanks. How do you fight with those chariots? You know, the, the cavalry. Uh, so, Remember, the Georgians relied on the United States, and it didn't fare too well for them, but the children of Israel had God to rely on. So they shouldn't have been as, as tweaked as they were. But it doesn't take long, remember, for the Israelites to start to lack faith again. And again, this is a picture of an emotional health based on circumstances instead of faith. And this carries through to today. How many times did God have to deliver the children of Israel? How many times did God have to do miracles? How many times did God take Israel's enemy and cause confusion so they started fighting with each other? How many times? You know, he's such a patient God. And they kept going back to fear. Oh, no, look at all the chariots. We're dead. We're doomed. How insulting that is to the God we serve. But, and I say this to Christians, we can't pick on the children of Israel because we do it sometimes too. God is a God of amazing things. And even in Bible-believing, strong churches, there is still sometimes where we see a circumstances and we, we punk out. You know, we, we look at it and, and we get scared right off the bat. Where's our God? Where's our faith in our God? Now, look at this geographically. Um, you follow the scripture, some... And this is amazing. When you, when you really get a map of Israel and you follow all the routes and stuff, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, geographically, some of the children of Israel go east, across the Jordan, to Gad and Gilead. They, they take off. They're scared. You know, they're going eastward as far as they can go to get away from the Philistines, because the Philistines are west. So they're going as far as east uh, in these areas. That's the uh, really eastern borders of Israel. But some of them went west with, with Saul. So what you see is the people are scattered. They're frightened, and they're scattered. Um, my son and I, we, we've been going through the Old Testament together, uh, you know, the Torah, deep into the Old Testament, and Josiah and I read Leviticus 26, and it, quote, it says this, God says, a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight, the enemies will fall by the sword before you, and my son looked at me and he said, Daddy, how is that possible? Why? Well, he gets... Uh, straight A's in math. As a matter of fact, his, his math teacher has used the term genius for my son when it comes to math. So in his mind, all he is thinking about is numbers. This is not possible. And I smirked because I said, Josiah, you know, this is where faith comes in. He's looking by sight. He's looking at strictly the numbers and he's right. But faith, God can take any odds and take a hundred and puts a flight 10,000 and they would fall by the sword. That's how big and awesome our God is. Verse 8. Then he waited seven days, uh, King Saul, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. 
and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet them, greet him. Now in the Hebrew, it could also mean he went out to be blessed by Samuel. Boy, was he self-deceived. He thinks he's getting a blessing and he's going to get rebuked. He's going to get, you know, it's not going to be pretty for him. So Samuel still has the authority to officiate the sacrifices, and we're going to read a little bit later about Ahijah the priest. Uh, Maybe he does it in in concert with Ahijah. Uh, Even though Samuel's technically retired, the man is still doing ministry. It's in his blood. He can't stop doing ministry. However, Saul, as the king, did not have the authority to do these sacrifices. He was being presumptuous. So instead of getting blessed, he gets rebuked. So this is what happens. Samuel's taking too long, and Saul takes matters into his own hands. If you remember Israel's history, King Uzziah did the same thing. He was the king, he was a great king, and he bit off more than he could chew. In his pride, he was presumptuous, and he started offering sacrifice, and he became leprous. He was so lifted up with pride. Uh, And the priests actually got together and and tried to chase him out of the temple. Uh, Good for them. (laughs) So a few things. There's four things at play here. I want to start with number one, impatience. Impatience. Again, can we look at King Saul and not make an application to our own lives? Impatience. I could tell you, (laughs) I'll, I'll speak first, that I've blown it many times because I've been impatient. Right? Uh, patience is, is a very hard thing to master. And you know, it really does, um, it does really arise out of self-centeredness. I want it, and I want it now. We all want it, and we want it now. So patience. Um, Saul didn't, he was impatient. Two, pride. When you're lifted up with pride, you think too highly of yourself. Again, you do presumptuous things. You do things that you think that you should do or you should have, and it's wrong. It's just wrong. But because of pride, we can get so lifted up, think ourselves can do anything. But that may not be what the Lord's will is for our lives. Um, Again, you know, please feel free to raise your hand or say something. But am I the only one who's been there? Who's done things out of pride, presumptuousness, and I paid the price for it? Right? Maybe a little self-deception going on? Right? There you go. I kind of think it's funny because every pastor, I love checking with other pastors and talking to them about different things, and every once in a while you get a ministry application of some guy who comes to the church and says, I'm a Bible scholar, don't want to work with the kids, don't want to clean runny noses, don't want to you know, vacuum the floors. Uh, pastor, when you go on vacation, I want to fill in for you. And I've seen them. And other pastors have seen them. Wow. No humility there, is there? What they don't understand is, number one, I never leave this place. So they don't know me very well. (laughs) Even when I have a guest speaker, I'm sitting up there listening to them. You know, I want to be fed. So they need to learn a little bit about me. But I got to tell you the truth, just from a a personal standpoint, being a police officer and being a pastor, uh, I'm used to fixing everybody's problems. I was trained 20 years ago to go there and fix everyone's problems. So does some pride creep in there? Sure it does. Even as a pastor, I've been, I've been a shepherd in both callings. Uh, and not too well, about a month or so ago, I hurt my knee pretty good. 
And I was, you see me, hobbling around with crutches, and I was so frustrated. Now I needed help, you know? I tell you what, humility is a good thing. I don't look at it as bad. God taught me some lessons in pride. I'm more than happy to admit that. I think that when we look at humility and we look at dealing with issues with pride in our own lives, um, we, well, we should welcome it. Because again, pride leads to, leads to self-deception. So I like it when God shows me things about myself and says to me, you know, you need me. <laughs> so it's all good. It's all good. He's good. Verse 11. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. No, 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 that's not in there. Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Mishmash, look what he's doing. He's mentioned himself at all. He's pointing everybody else. He's painting with a broad brush. Verse 12, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal. And I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. So we have impatience, pride number three, excuses instead of repentance. And a common excuse is urgency. Oh, I had to. I was in a pinch. I had to make a bad decision. I'll tell you that one of the worst scams through the internet or um, uh, phone scams are the ones where they call and tell you it's urgency. There's actually a scam out there, and this is very common, where the scammers call, they find elderly people with grandchildren, and they'll say, uh, we're the Canadian police. I'm just telling you, this stuff is very common. We're the Canadian police. We have your grandson. You have to wire us uh, $500 immediately, otherwise he won't be able to get out of jail. They don't even call their grandchildren. They actually do it. And then they come to the police station and say, I think I got scammed. My grandson's been home the whole time. But the bottom line is urgency. You have to do this really quickly. Don't let that pressure you. Don't let that pressure you. Really, it was God was taking too long. You didn't show up. The Philistines were coming upon me. So he tries to divert the attention. He doesn't even include himself at all as part of the problem. The fourth problem after excuses is to justify. Verse 11, because I saw your fault, their fault, God took too long. Just come clean. Just come clean. Sometimes we make ourselves, our lives so much more difficult when we've done something wrong and we don't just come clean. I see a lot of smiles out there right now. I can see a lot from up here, I can tell you that. It's true. It's true. Just come clean. We make it so difficult. Maybe we lie, and then we have to, we, we're getting, someone's getting too close to finding the truth, so we throw another lie out there. You know, we throw out all this chaff, and before you know, it's a big convoluted story. It's a mess. We've hurt people. We've, we've hurt ourselves. We've, we've broken trust, right? Justification, it's terrible. The only justification that's good justification is when God justifies us because we believe in his son. 
Now all of a sudden, all that guilt is wiped away. We are justified through the blood of Christ. So, I, I even, even with my son, you know, if, if I have to work at finding the truth, he's probably going to get punished. <laughs> if he comes clean quickly, there's probably going to be mercy. <laughs> so, yeah, if I have to work, you know, it's, it's going to be hard for everybody. So, Samuel, Samuel was not afraid to confront the man, though, who could take his life. See, that's what I love, a man of God who is fearless. He's an old man. He's retired, in a sense. Uh, Saul's the king, has a very high popularity, you know, poll going on, Barna Research, the precursor to Barna Research. And he confronts King Saul. He doesn't beat around the bush. Love that about Nathan the prophet, too, with King David. Remember, in those days, the king could just take his sword out, cut your head off, no repercussions. Servants, take away the body. But he didn't care. He had to do the right thing. I love that. And, and very interesting, too, is that uh, he says that your, your dynasty would have been established. You know, you, you're the one that caused your dynasty to fall. Now, we're going to go through some chapters, and we're going to see Saul still the king. However, from that point on, everything died. Just like when Adam and Eve you know, sinned against God. He said, you shall surely die. And a day after, a month after, a year after, they're like, I'm still alive. But they eventually died. God is very merciful. But if, he, if, if there's something that has to be dealt with, it's going to be dealt with, right? Even Satan said to Eve, has God really said that? Do you think he really means that? Satan made some really good slick points but the truth is, God's truths were going to be carried out. And the kingdom is immediately, God already had decided David was going to be the king. He was a man after his own heart. Saul, you're done. It's going to start being downhill from here. Verse 16. Saul, Jonathan, his son, and the people who were present with them remained in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Mishmash. Then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies, one company turned to the road that leads to Orphra, to the land of Shual. Another company turned to the road at Beth Horon. And another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. So the Philistines come out on the offensive. They're coming. They're coming to get you, you know. And they, and they flank in three, three positions. Uh, it kind of reminds me of paintball when we go with the teens from the church and play paintball. And I, I'm not going to give too many secrets because if you're on the opposite team next time, I don't want you using my stuff against me. <laughs> but we have a lot of fun. I tell them, suppressive fire in the center, left flank, right flank, right left, and this is how we're going to get the other team. We did very well uh, that day. It was a lot of fun. But you can see these military strategies to divide and conquer. And that's what the Philistines were good at. They were warriors. Verse 19. Now, there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, let the Hebrews, lest the Hebrews, make swords or spears. Remember, they didn't want them to. They wanted to hold them down in subjugation. They wanted them to be subservient to them. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. Very interesting situation. And the charge for a sharpening was a pim for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to set the points of the goads. 
So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Mishmash. So if the Philistines are a picture of sin, sin wants us to be defenseless. And you know what's really sad? Some get so used to living a dysfunctional lifestyle that it's what they do all the time. And you try to, from the outside, you try to pull them out of that lifestyle and help them. Your life could be so much better. You know, this is what the Lord has. You know, you, you, you can have peace. You could have joy. You could have, you know, a clear head and clear thinking. And it's, you can't pull them out of it. The Israelites were God's people. And they were subjugated by these evil Philistines. So there's so many uh, parallels you can make here. Um, sin wants you to be defenseless. Sin wants you to be powerless. Wants you to stay in that dysfunctional lifestyle. Wants you to be brainwashed to think that's all you deserve. Think about it. Happens all the time. What would God think about me? What would he want about me? You know, why would he want to do anything for me? Because he loves you. You can't understand that type of love. Just go with it. You know what I'm saying? Trust me on that one. But the Philistines were like bullies. They kept the children of Israel in fear. But I'm convinced that if they had the faith in their God and they just would trust him, that's all God asked, then, then he would have defeated them without all that stuff anyway. Um, I'm just going to talk briefly because we're going to do it next time. But chapter, chapter 14 um, we're going to see a lot about King Saul's son, Jonathan. Different, salt, you know, salt of the earth, different type of guy. Uh, I love Jonathan. Uh, you hear so much about King David. Honestly, God gave David the kingdom, but Jonathan, in a lot of ways, was even a better man. He was an awesome man. And the fact that he could have taken the kingdom from David in a worldly sense so let's go with that. Of course, God, he had what he was going to do. But uh, Jonathan acquiesced to David. Jonathan helped David when he was emotionally distraught. So I can't wait to start going into Jonathan because this guy to me is, here's a guy we need to model our, our life uh, with. So we see and we'll see that the Philistines are beaten back because Jonathan just decides to stand up with his armor bearer, two guys, and go into the Philistine camp. Amazing stuff. But we're going to see that Saul gets worse and worse and doesn't seem to bear any fruits of repentance. I want to read one thing that I found interesting in the shepherd's notes about sin. Okay, we're talking about uh, King Saul. And I couldn't have said it better than myself, and I didn't want to steal it, so I'll give them the credit. It says, one of the most sinister, sinister aspects of sin is that it never affects only one person. And when we're in sin, we're so self-centered and self-absorbed and self-deceived that we think it just affects us, but it doesn't. That was mine, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so Saul sinned by performing a ritual sacrifice that was only, only Samuel was qualified to offer. This act of disobedience hurt Saul's kingship, but it also took something precious away from his children. They lost the right to rule Israel after their father. Did we ever think about that? Did he ever think about that? The choices we make in life really do matter. Not only do they enrich or threaten our own lives, but they also affect the lives of those around us. Our obedience to God brings blessings to our families, 
By the same token, our disobedience pulls others around us down, keeping them from inheriting all the blessings that otherwise could have been theirs. What blessings are lost to your family members because of your sins? How can you live to bring more blessings to others around you? Powerful. There is a portion, uh, again, in the East Coast Pastors Conference, Pancho Juarez did a great segment on uh, Psalm 51, right? Psalm 51, uh, about repentance. And, you know, he was speaking to pastors. Pastors need to repent, too. <laughs> Newsflash. Uh, and it just really got us all to think about what he was saying. Um, so in conclusion, I just want to say this. King Saul was a fool. He had the kingdom for a while. He had everything at his disposal, probably lived large uh, for a long time. However, it all came to a, a, a shameful end. Uh, is there a point of no return? Why don't we repent when we can? So I just would leave this with you and me that that we should repent, we should change our ways, we should stop what we're doing, think about life, and turn to the Lord. Trust him, follow him, you know, give up our self-directed lifestyle, and uh, learn a little something from Saul's life. Let's pray.